Well, good morning, Jubilee. It's uh, it's so wonderful to be uh, in a room full of people and to know that many of you are joining us online as well. Um, it's a privilege to continue our series looking at the life of King David, who, as we've heard, was described by the prophet Samuel as a man after God's own heart. And I'm excited today to share with you what God has been speaking to me about. We're going to be looking at an exchange between God and David in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, where David decides he wants to do something great for God. And he comes up with what he thinks is a brilliant plan. Now, this got me thinking as uh, I can really relate to David as I too really like making plans. Um, if you know me, you'll know I'm a big fan of making lists. I love ticking things off my lists and uh, I really like to know what's happening when. Now, Rich finds it funny that sometimes I even like to plan in my rest time. It was revolutionary to me a few years ago when I realised I could write keep free in my diary. I'd really recommend it. Now, for David, we've seen him come a long way. He's gone from looking after the sheep in the fields to being unexpectedly anointed to be king by Samuel the prophet. He then worked for Saul, who was the, the current king at the time, fought and defeated Goliath, and subsequently had many other military exploits. And now we reach the point in David's life where he is settled in the palace and thinking about the future. He comes up with a plan that he shares with Nathan, the prophet, who then hears from God on the matter. And David finds that actually God's plan is very different from his. So firstly, what I want to do today is look at the difference between David's plan and God's plan. And then secondly, I want us to look at how David responds to this change of plan and what we can learn from that. The title of today's talk is David, a man after God's own heart, humility. So that gives you an idea of where we're heading this morning. So let's start by having a look at these two plans. I'm going to read from 1 Chronicles 17, verse 1 to 2, but I'd encourage you to keep this passage open as we will be jumping back in as we go through this morning. So 1 Chronicles 17, verses 1 to 2. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. David wants to do something great for God, to leave a legacy. He doesn't think it's right that he gets to live in a fancy palace made of cedar while the Ark of the Covenant is under a tent, a temporary shelter. 
Let's just remind ourselves what the tent with the Ark of the Covenant actually was. In Exodus 25, God gives Moses instructions for building the tabernacle, which was the means through which God chose to dwell in the midst of his people. It was the place of his presence and his rule. God says in Exodus 25 verse 8, let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So the tabernacle or tent that David refers to was a wooden structure that was overlaid with gold but had no solid roof and no front wall. Inside this tent was the most holy place which was an area containing the Ark of the Covenant. It was here that God would meet with his people and the high priest could only enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Ark itself was a wooden chest overlaid in gold and inside were the two stone tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments. And the ark was not allowed to be touched by human hands. So it had two wooden poles that were used to transport it. You can kind of understand why David wants to build a house or temple that is so much more than a tent containing the transportable ark of the covenant. He wants to build somewhere to honour and praise God. He wants to build a permanent house for the presence of God. And so he shares his plan with Nathan the prophet, who at first supports the idea. Nathan says in verse 2, whatever you have in mind, do it. The ESV translates it as, do all that is in your heart. However, that night, we see in verse 3, God speaks to Nathan through a prophetic word, responding to the plan that is in David's heart. God basically says, slow down. I never asked you or any of the leaders that came before you to build me a house. He says in verse 5 and 6, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see, nothing in the regulations that the Israelites had originally been given by Moses suggested that the ark should be placed in a building. It needed carrying poles because it was designed to be portable. But what's interesting, however, is that David's plan was on the right lines. God tells Nathan that a house or temple, does feature in his plans for his people Israel. But David is not the one to build it. Look at verse 11. God says, When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. The initiative lies not with David, but with God. Rather than David building a house for God, he promises to raise up one of David's sons to do it instead. Now, the son that God is referring to is Solomon. We get an interesting insight into the background of this decision later in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, where David tells Solomon to get on and build a house for the Lord, explaining why God did not ask him to do it himself. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 7 says, David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shared much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son. His name will be Solomon. He is the one who will build a house for my name. David had had it in his heart to build a house for the name of the Lord. But his plan had to change. God says David doesn't get to do it. His son does. But that's not all. What God has planned for David is actually so much greater than anything David was planning to do for God. Even though he doesn't get to be the one to build the temple, God promises to exalt him and use him to establish the house of God in a very different way to what David was expecting. In verse 10, God says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. I can't imagine David was expecting to hear that. The Hebrew word here for house meant not only an ordinary house, but also a temple as well as a dynasty. Just as in English, the current British royal family is called the House of Windsor. A house for David, therefore, isn't referring to a palace, but it's about the sons and descendants who would succeed David as king. What's incredible is that this house and this kingdom will also be God's house. In verse 12, God refers to David's son building a house for me. And then verse 14, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. In other words, God's eternal heavenly kingdom will be present in and expressed through the house of David. We've seen, haven't we, throughout this series that David is a great king, the kind of king God wants, a man after God's own heart. But we've also seen that he's not a perfect king. There is still one greater to come. 
God's plan here depends on the fulfillment of his promise to send a son or descendant of David who would be the one finally to bring God's people the security and peace that they've always needed. Who is this king who will be set over God's house and kingdom forever? Of course, it's Jesus. Romans 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus was a descendant of David. And we see that too in the genealogy of Jesus listed in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is the better king, the perfect king, the one who, as a descendant of David with a royal lineage, will rule forever, establishing the kingdom of God and therefore fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. So we've seen what David's plan was. And we've seen how actually he finds that God's plan looks really very different from his. Let's move on to see how David responds. Look at verse 16 for this. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. I think this is really important. What was David thinking and feeling as he sat before the Lord? I'm sure we've all experienced those change of plan emotions where we're thinking one thing and then God interrupts with another plan. When life looks different from what we expect. For me, I'd always planned to get married in my 20s. That fitted in well with my 10-year plan after graduating from university. But God had other plans. And it was the next decade before I met Rich, who would become my husband. I feel like Proverbs 19.21 could have been written for me. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. There are many ways, aren't there, of responding when things don't go to plan. Sulking, retreating, getting angry, trying to control the situation. But David shows us where a heart after God's is headed. To humbly sit before the Lord. Now, it may be that David had to process some of the difficult emotions first. He had his heart set on building a temple, a permanent house for God. He wanted to be the one to deliver on it. Maybe he had to process some disappointment around that. Or the regret that because he'd shed so much blood on the earth, God wanted his son to be the one to build it instead of him. But verse 16 tells us that the first words out of David's mouth are, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? In spite of his popularity, and military success, 
David humbly considers himself unworthy of all the Lord's blessings and attributes all of his success to God. He acknowledges his insufficiency in the face of the grace that God has continued to show him. Notice how many times David says you instead of I in his prayer from verse 17. As if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honouring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord. For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. If I'm honest, I think my prayer in this moment would have had a lot more eyes in it. I wanted to build you a temple. I had this great idea. But David's prayer of praise then leads him to ask God that he will do what he says he will do. Verse 23, and now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised. David chooses to agree and partner with God in his plan, submitting himself to the will of God instead of continuing to walk in the path that he thought was best. I think so often we can have the short term view in these things. David's plan was to leave a legacy and build a house for God, something people could see and attribute to him. But God's vision was so much bigger. He had a plan for an eternal legacy that would point to Jesus, the perfect king who would display God's heart to the whole world. What David had to understand in this moment of submission was that there is a difference between significance and legacy. He had to submit to God's plans, to be willing to play the long game, the legacy game, focused on the generations that would come after him. He wouldn't see the fruit of this in his lifetime. It would be his son who would build the temple. And he certainly wouldn't see the promise of an everlasting kingdom fulfilled through Jesus. But the thing about legacy is that it's not about us. It's not about building into our empire, but about sowing into God's kingdom. It's not about people looking at us and our achievements, what we've made of ourselves, but rather seeing how our life points to God and how amazing he is. Every moment, every time we say yes to God, every time we choose to submit to his way of doing things, is an opportunity to sow into legacy for the sake of others, rather than doing things our way 
and grabbing significance in the moment. This means, like David, we have to submit our plans to God. It means being willing to wait, being willing to be overlooked, to be set aside even for the sake of others. It means allowing God to do the internal work in your heart, in the secret place, the stuff that only he and you know about. As a man after God's own heart, David shows us that true humility is about submitting to God's plan for our lives. It's not about having low self-esteem or thinking we're no good, but recognising that our plans and even greater, our lives have no purpose apart from God. David found ultimately that the key to submitting to God's will for him was the revelation of God's bigger plan. It was this revelation that gave him courage, actually, when God said no to his plan. Listen to verse 25. You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. David could have taken matters into his own hands. He could have grabbed significance in the moment and ignored God's bigger plan, steamrolling on ahead with what he thought was best, following his heart to build a house for God. But the prophetic revelation that God had given via Nathan gave him courage to submit to God and his plan that would bless not only him, but his son, and ultimately the whole world. As we come to a close, let me ask you, what are the prophetic words that God has spoken over your life? What promises are you holding on to? What has God been revealing to you that goes beyond you and your life? Where is he calling you to partner with him in order to release destiny into the lives of others? I want to encourage you that it's okay to have plans in your heart. It's not a bad thing. It shows we're connecting with our emotions and what's going on in the world around us. David's original plan came about because he was indignant that he lived in a house of cedar while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was under a tent. He didn't think that was right. But I wonder if sometimes we can run away with our ideas and our plans with how we think God should make things happen. Do we need to get back to hearing what God says about it? Jesus is our ultimate example of humble submission to the Father. Philippians 2 describes how he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. 
And in Luke 22, we see how he submits to God even moments before his arrest, praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. When did you last hear God's plan for your life? What is he asking you to say yes to as an opportunity to sow into legacy for the sake of others? As we finish, I'd love to pray for us and ask God to speak to us about his plans and his vision for our life. So can I encourage you where you are here at Jago or sitting at home on your sofa, just posture yourself now. Just come like David and sit before the Lord. You might want to put your hands out just as a sign of submission and yielding to God's way and God's will in your life. I just feel like for some of us, there might be some plans that we need to just hold out open-handed to God. We just do that now, Father. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Holy Spirit, we just invite you afresh now. Would you come and minister to us? Would you come and speak to us? Would you help us to let go? Would you help us to surrender all that we are, all that we're planning, all that we're thinking, our very hearts, our very lives? We want to come and just say again this morning, it is all yours. Your will be done. And Jesus, would you come and heal us where we're carrying any disappointment, where things haven't quite looked how we expected? Come and minister to us, Holy Spirit. Come and release your freedom to us. And I pray right now in this moment that you would give us fresh revelation of your plans for us. Thank you that as you revealed your plan to David, it gave him courage. It gave him courage to pray to you and to yield to you. So, Lord, would you come now? Would you remind us of the prophetic words that you've spoken over our lives, the promises over us, especially those things that we've not seen come to fulfilment yet? We just offer those back to you, Lord. Would you just come and have your way in us? And I pray that in these days that you would be speaking to us about how you want to use us to release destiny in others. Thank you, Lord, that your plan is so much bigger than just our life. Thank you that you call us to sow into what you're doing, into your kingdom. What a privilege, Father. Would you be showing us very specifically how you want us to do that in these days? Jesus, I thank you that you're the best king we know. You're so awesome. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we love you. How can we not give everything to you?
We worship you, Jesus. And we praise your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.